Well, our summer vacation was uh, quite busy. We didn't really get away anywhere. But for me, in uh, the midst of all the busyness, there was a break from the tyranny of the weekly deadlines, getting ready for Sundays, uh, because Sunday is always coming. But uh, I find when I don't have deadlines to meet uh, that time just seems to slow down a little. You know, there's time to catch your breath, time to think about the year gone by and wonder about what's ahead. And there's time to ponder the bigger picture in life rather than just being kind of caught up in all the details that keep us occupied for the rest of the year. And you don't have to be in a hurry. (laughs) A.W. Tozer said, God never hurries. He says, there are no deadlines against which he must work. And he says, to know this is to quiet our spirits and to relax our nerves. He says, those who are in Christ share with God all the riches of limitless time and endless years. So that's a reassuring thought. You know, for God, the fact is that time and eternity are the same. So if you're in Christ, then you never need to be in a rush. Psalm 46.10 says, We can just be still and know that He is God. You know, I also find that the, uh, the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, especially the Psalms and the uh, and Ecclesiastes, um, can really help to free us somewhat from the, the, the hurry and the, the tyranny of time. And so this morning, I want to revisit a familiar passage in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and we we'll just start with verse 1. It says, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. Now, I really wish I felt that that statement was always true in my daily life, (laughs) that there was time for everything, that there was a season for every activity. But, you know, the seasons just kind of flit past. You know, time keeps moving on relentlessly. Today keeps slipping into yesterday. And we can't change it. We can't go back. And there's so many things that I'd like to do or things I'd like to undo, but I can't. There's enough hours in the day. Now, of course, all of us have been given exactly the same amount of time in a day. We all have 86,400 seconds in every day. Do you count them? (laughs) And whether we're rich or poor or young or old, whether employed or, or retired, that's 1,440 minutes each day. And whether we use those minutes well or not, we still all have the same daily 24 hours of time. So no matter what it is we do with the time that we have, time just marches steadily on beyond our control. There's no way to you know, put it on pause. <laughs> Can't set it on rewind or fast forward. We're stuck in the clutches of this steady continuum of time for as long as we live. And sometimes we'd love to escape it. Times we'd like to put it on rewind or fast forward. (laughs) My favorite science fiction story as a kid was H.G. Wells' story, The Time Machine. It was about a Victorian era scientist who invents a, a way to travel through time. And he chooses to go into the future where he has some incredible adventures. And it's just really good escapist literature for those who like to escape once in a while. 
But when the time traveler returns to his own time, nobody will believe his story. And so he packs a few belongings and escapes again into the future, never to return. And at the end of the story, one of his friends is finally convinced that he did indeed travel through time. And he realizes that the time traveler now has all the time in the world. Now you and I might like to imagine too that time travel would give us all the time in the world and solve all of our problems. You know, we could travel back and undo the mistakes of the past. We could travel forward to shape the outcome of the future. And we could get done all the things we never had time for. Wouldn't that be great? But you know, time machines are hard to come by these days. Our friend Benno Shabilsky, who many of you know, uh, has written a fascinating book called Time, Friend, or Foe. And in the book, Benno speculates on how a time machine might solve all of our problems. But he also awakens us from any escapist fantasies by asking, well, would you like to live in a world where there's no need for any personal responsibility? In a world where anything goes, since everything can always be changed. He says, rather than leading to freedom, time travel would lead to anarchy. He points out that as long as a man remains sinful, the constraints of time, past, present, and future, are absolutely essential. He says salvation has to take place in time, with forgiveness for the past, responsibility in the present, and hope for the future. But you know, unfortunately, many people, time machine or not, choose to live in the past. You know, just dwelling on seasons they've already been through, regretting things they should have done and lamenting things they shouldn't have done. And then there's other people who choose to live in the future. You know, just planning, expecting, anticipating that someday things will be good and they will finally be happy. But neither of these two kinds of people, those who long for the past or those who long for the future, really enjoy living because they're always missing the present. Not living in the moment. Well, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 calls us to appreciate the past seasons we've been through and to look forward to the seasons that await us, but to be sure to enjoy the seasons that we are in. And they are just seasons. They don't last forever. You know, for the last 18 years, I've been enjoying the season of grandparenthood. And I've cherished the moments I've had with our grandkids while they're little, and uh, now they're getting grown up. And I know that as they grow up, Papa won't be such an important part of their lives anymore. But it is a joyful season. I've also come through a tearful season, a sad season, saying goodbye to my parents. But you know, while their health was failing, it was also an opportunity for me to give back a little for all they had given me. Time to know them at a deeper level than ever before and to stand with them as they face the end of life. Now, of course, none of us can determine whether we'll have many days or few or whether our seasons will be long or short. But what we can determine is whether our life will be full or empty. So is it possible to find joy and fulfillment in every season, even the difficult ones? Well, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 17, 
Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Really? I mean, how is that possible when so many things seem to go wrong? Well, I think it's only possible when we understand what the teacher here in Ecclesiastes is saying. That there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. It means that we have to keep the bigger picture in view here and realize that life is just is made up of seasons and seasons come and seasons go. The teacher's uh, beautiful poem here in verses 2 to 8 kind of gives us a big picture and sums up all the different circumstances of life. This is what he says. And we've heard Pam iterate some of this already to the children. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. We know what that's like lately. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love, a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. I think some of us first heard those famous words from Ecclesiastes in a song that was written by Pete Seeger, sung by the birds in the 1960s. It kind of became an anthem for the peace movement. But that's not what these verses are about. Instead, these verses actually give us a cross-section of all of life, listing what seems to be 14 opposites. Now, 14 positives and 14 negatives in life, both the desirable and the undesirable aspects of life. Birth and death, planting and reaping, weeping and laughing, keeping and throwing away. But rather than contrasting these opposites here, these verses actually incorporate them together. It's saying these are the realities of life and God puts them together in his time, not ours. And whether the experience of these realities is joyful for us or whether it's something sorrowful for us, God is still in it. He's in it and he fills it with his grace and he gives it meaning. Of course, we prefer the, uh, the joyful experiences to the sorrowful ones. But God, nevertheless, is in all of them. They are the seasons of life under the heavens, as it says. The seasons that we find ourselves in. Right now, some of you are maybe in a season of laughter and dancing and building right now. Some of you are in a season of weeping and mourning and tearing down. Some are in a season of health. Some are in a season of sickness. Some in a season of friendship and others in a season of loneliness. Some are in a season of fruitfulness and some are in a season of dryness. But whatever season you're in, you must accept the fact that we are mortal, you know, that we're governed by time 
and seasons, and we're not yet able to partake in the unbroken joys of eternity. We're not there yet. And so teacher here is giving us a picture of the, just the horizontal trip from birth to death. Okay? Just from one end to the other. Nothing vertical, just a horizontal trip. And it's a summary here of all that mortal beings like us are able to discern under the heavens. It refers to the, the visible world, life under the heavens. It's the mortal life, where good happens and bad happens. But whether good or bad, it all adds up to nothing because all mortals die in the end. It even says later on in Ecclesiastes 3, 19b to 20, everything is meaningless. All go to the same place, all come from dust, and to dust all return. And that's the view of life we have under the heavens. That means without God being in the picture. And this is the problem the uh, existentialists wrestle with. You know, they don't believe in God or anything that exists above the heavens. And so they ask, well, how can life then have any meaning when it all ends in death, zero, nothingness? Well, the teacher in Ecclesiastes here kind of steps into the unbeliever's shoes here to view life just from that materialistic perspective. And he addresses their question with another question, verses 9 to 10. He asks, what do workers gain from all their toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. And what he's doing here is he's pointing out the futility of life without God. The pointlessness of everything because it all ends in nothing, zero. You know, finding true satisfaction in life under the, the heavens is something that can never really happen until there's a meaningful connection with the living Lord above the heavens. The toil of the worker, as it says, ultimately amounts to nothing unless a life is lived in connection with the living God, the eternal God. Because only through him can there really be eternal meaning in life. So our minds and our hearts will never be satisfied with just mere answers or mere logic or speculation. They can only be satisfied by God himself who made us for himself and who is so much more than just mere answers. <laughs> Ultimately, it's not even God's answers that we want. We want him. We want his presence. We want his love. And that's what we need. So we come to the verse now that's best known, best known verse in Ecclesiastes, verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet, no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Now that word beautiful here actually means appropriate. He has made everything appropriate in its time. And I think if we could truly understand that, we would accept life as it is, even the hard parts of life. But the problem we have is that uh, we long for eternity. That's how we're made. Whether we recognize it or not, we have a longing for eternity. We want our accomplishments to endure forever. We want our joys to last forever. We want our pleasures to go on forever. And we yearn to be a part of eternity because that's how we've been created. 
He has set eternity in the human heart. And we want our life to endure forever, but it doesn't. Not under the heavens. There's a roadblock to this desire, and that roadblock is our grave. It's the ending of life. In life under the heavens, we are actually prisoners in time, trapped somewhere between our birth and our death. And we cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Under the heavens, we don't really know the meaning of our existence because we don't know what God is doing. But you know, this is where faith comes into the picture. It's where we trust that God is good, that he's in control, and that he's up to something good. As Paul says in Romans 8.28, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. And faith is where that becomes a practical reality. It's by faith that we can know that God is working eternal goodness for those who love him. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Here's the beauty of it. I don't know how many of you uh, have seen or done weaving on a loom. A couple times Kim and I, and I think a few of you others, to have visited a Turkish rug cooperative and, uh, near the ancient city of Ephesus. And we've watched some women making silk carpets on looms. Same way it's been done for centuries. And you look at their work from underneath, that is the underside of the carpet, and it's not beautiful. I mean, you see a tangle of hundreds of colored threads and knots and loose ends, and there's nothing beautiful or orderly looking about it. No obvious pattern. It's life under the loom. <laughs> it's a picture of what Ecclesiastes calls here, life under the heavens. And it looks kind of like a huge mass of knots and, and loose ends sometimes, and there's no order or symmetry to it, sometimes no beauty to it at all. It doesn't look from down here like there's any great artist up there steadily weaving a beautiful tapestry in life. Well, we get glimpses. Some of the silk, silk carpets that we saw took more than three years to complete. They sell for well over $20,000. But when you see the finished product, it's stunningly beautiful. I mean, it takes a long time to finish one of those Turkish carpets, but every single thread has been put in precisely the right place to create a glorious design. In his time, God, too, is weaving all of history together to come out exactly as he desires. Now, from underneath, that is, from our perspective, some of it looks horrendous to us. I mean, sin has corrupted this world. But from above, it looks glorious because you can see the end result. The threads, the color, the, the symmetry, and the pattern all come together in the end. So from God's perspective, he sees the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end. And from our own perspective down here, well, we only see that tiny little portion, which is our earthly life, the, the role that we have to play. Now this past week, they've been making a movie down in Laura Gibson's there, and our little granddaughter uh, got a role as a, a body double for 
one of the stars, a little girl who was a star in the movie. And so she was in dressing rooms and had people doing her hair and clothes and all this stuff and a lot of waiting around, but she eventually got to do her role a couple nights ago in the, at night on a, a yacht down in the harbor down there. And uh, all she had to do was stand at the wheel of this <laughs> yacht and uh, make like she was uh, driving the thing, I guess. And uh, her mother was there and her mom said to me, she said, you know, it was chaos down there. There were cameramen and there were sound people and there were people in other boats and there was lights and there was just people not knowing what they were doing and just a <laughs> real mess. But uh, the funny thing was Kaylee herself said, you know, I had a role in that movie, but I have no idea what it's about. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she didn't know the storyline at all. But life is like that for us sometimes, right? We don't know the big picture, the plot, the storyline. So God gives us a glimpse. But he has set eternity in our hearts. And we have this inner longing to, to see things as he sees them. And we long to make sense of what God is doing. However, we live this brief existence, you know, a few breaths and we're gone. But the beautiful thing for those who trust God is that when we die, we will... We'll rise and we will sit with him above. We'll get the movie director's point of view. We'll know the whole story. And it'll be beautiful. And we'll see from beginning to end that God has indeed made everything beautiful in his time. But maybe there's some things in life that you just can't reconcile with that view, things you struggle with. I mean, some things that may have happened some things that you or another have done that should never have taken place. Maybe you gave your all to something or to someone or to some relationship or some career or some endeavor, and it's all come to nothing, it seems. Or maybe some misfortune occurred that seems to put a hindrance or a damper on the rest of your life. And those kind of things are impossible for us under the heavens to make sense of, unless... We have faith and a faith perspective. You know, quadriplegic Johnny Erickson Tata says, perspective is everything when you are experiencing the challenges of life. And what she means is that the big picture is that God makes everything beautiful in its time. He has a purpose in every activity under heaven. And those things that seem to have gone wrong he can redeem in the big picture, and he will. I mean, think about it. He used a murderer like Herod. He used a betrayer like Judas. He used a coward like Pilate. <laughs> and they brought Jesus down, and they hung Jesus up, and, you know, but it all worked for good, for God's purposes to bring redemption to his people. And our God uses everything that happens, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and he bends it all back toward his will eventually. And we'll see that plainly someday. It's just not time yet, except with the eyes of faith. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. He says, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. 
So we'll see the fabric of our own lives as a part of this great tapestry that God is weaving all through history. So what do we do in the meantime? We've all got a little time to kill. It's called life under the heavens. Well, here's what we do. Verse 12. He says, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. Be happy? Well, why not? The other options aren't so good. But you say, well, I'm not happy. Well, then be happy. You say, well, I can't make myself happy. Well, why not? You can make yourself miserable. (laughs) Verse 13. That each of them should eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. So God wants us to enjoy the good and abundant pleasures of life. But also to realize that there's nothing under the heavens that will give you or me truly a true sense of peace and lasting satisfaction. He's put eternity in our hearts, which means that nothing here on earth will truly satisfy, not for long. And that's because God made us a little lower than the angels who dwell in his presence. God planned it that way. Because how else would we ever discover our absolute need for a living God if everything was perfect? C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, Our Heavenly Father has provided many delightful inns for us along our journey, but he takes great care to see that we do not mistake any of them for our home. He says, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. So this world is not our final destiny. It's not where we ultimately belong even. We're just sojourners. We're travelers through time. We're exiles actually. And so our true hope And purpose is something that really lies beyond. When you think about it, a good God would not have created us with the longings and the aspirations that we have and then leave us with no way for those longings and aspirations to be satisfied. But we were made for another world. We're just passing through this one. Well, finishing up this passage with verse 14, the teacher says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. So it's telling us that God is working on this great tapestry of of human history here and that he has a plan, he has a purpose, and he made you to be a part of it. You have a role to play. And each season of life, he, he provides for us opportunities for joy. He provides moments of, of, of bliss and, and delight that he just kind of sprinkles into life like a trail of breadcrumbs, right? Reminds us that there is a God. <laughs> and those breadcrumbs can lead us to him. But in between the breadcrumbs, that's where we feel a hunger and an emptiness because God's put eternity in our hearts. 
Nothing in this world will truly satisfy. We sense there must be something more. And God does that so that you will see your need for him, so that you'll fear him and revere him. He's inviting, inviting you by faith, to live in harmony with him and with his purposes there and to enjoy him even in the tough times. As the Westminster Catechism says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That starts right here on this planet. God wants us to know his joy. And this verse says, nothing can be added or taken away from what God does. So, we shouldn't be trying to carve out our own existence without him. So God says there is a time for everything. What time is it right now? Well, it's time to come to terms with eternity. I mean, we're not really ready to face life until we're ready to face the end of life. We're not ready to face the end of life until we know that in Jesus Christ, eternity is ours, with him forever when we put our trust in him. And you know, when we get eternity securely in place, it's amazing what it will do to time. We may not have all the time in the world, but we'll know what to do with the time that we have. I'm going to invite the worship team to uh, come up and lead us in a song. There's an old chorus that we sang many years ago. <clears throat> Some of you may remember it. Some of the words went like this. In his time, in his time, he makes all things beautiful in his time. Lord, please show me every day as you're teaching me your way and I'll do just what you say in your time. You may remain seated as we sing this together. <clears throat> 